So um, in uh, Sunday Talks, we're currently looking at a celebration that the church has been involved in for 2,000 years. Um, If you're not familiar with church, uh, we call this communion. Uh, We have the tables in front of us, which represent the communion table. Um, Some people call it the Eucharist or the Last Supper. Um, And it's based on the instructions that Jesus gave his disciples the night before he died. So we've called the series, Come to the Table. And we've had uh, some introductory talks about tasting and see that the Lord is good, meditating on the death of Christ, because without the death of Christ, we can't be reconciled to, to God. And God wants us to be in fellowship with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And God brings a spiritual renewal and reconnects us to himself. And there's some talks coming up about... Uh, the justice that God wants to bring to a world that's broken through injustice and, through, and about the feast, the forward-looking to that final day when there'll be a, a, a wonderful marriage feast in heaven. But today's about Thanksgiving, and I want to take us through a little bit of a journey of understanding how important thankfulness is. Uh, we'll look at how ingratitude, first of all, is... Um, poisonous and how the antidote is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. We'll look at some of the practical and spiritual benefits of being thankful, and there are many. Um, how we, we'll look at how we can make gratitude uh, an ongoing part of our lives and how we can pay it forward to others. And then we'll look at how gathering together for communion is a picture of, this, of the coming kingdom of God and the coming marriage feast. And Thanksgiving is part of that as our corporate, gathered together expression of faith and trust in God. So I wanted to start off by looking at um, ingratitude. Um, there's not much in the Bible about ungratefulness, but I found two verses when I did a little search on my iPad. Um, and the first verse is this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, it's Paul's letter to his um, apprentice, Timothy. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I guess we could probably all name somebody who is a bit like that. (laughs) The other Bible verse in the New Testament is a little bit more hopeful. Uh, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So a couple of quotes. I still don't know who uh, Marty Rubin is. um, But uh, he said this. We are given this beautiful life, this beautiful world. And we destroy it with ingratitude and hate. And then... I don't know who William George Gordon is either, or was. Ingratitude is a crime more despicable than revenge. 
which is only returning evil for evil, while ingratitude returns evil for good. And Elaine reminded me of a a quote from somebody that uh, she used to work for years ago, which said, ungrateful people are unhappy people. Ungrateful people are unhappy people. Now, there are some examples in the Bible of where you can see ingratitude. Last year, we we encouraged people to blow the dust off their Bibles and get into reading it. A target was to try and read through the whole Bible in one year, quite a challenge. Uh, One or two people managed to succeed. But whatever we got to in that, I would still encourage you to get stuck back into the Word of God. And there are lots of benefits and lots of tools to help you. So you can download for your uh, tablet or your phone um, an online version of the Bible, and they've got lots of guides and things that you can uh, use to help you get into reading the Bible, to hear what God has to say for you today. So I've been recently reading through a book in the Old Testament called Numbers. Not everybody finds it very easy reading through Numbers. It's lists of names in parts of it. Um, but there's a commentary by a guy called Nicky Gumbel, who's a vicar in London, um, and it's, it's, about the story, it's a story about how the people of Israel came out of, the promised land, uh, came out of Egypt and were on their way to the promised land. And uh, they'd been rescued from slavery. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. Um, and uh, they were trapped there without any days off, any holidays for 400 years. Can you imagine that for three months or six months? They had it for 400 years. One of the many problems that they had, I think, was that for God, it was, it was relatively easy for him to get the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, basically, it only needed 10 plagues, 10 major plagues, several miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, and the drowning of all of Pharaoh's army and chariots. That's all. The difficult bit for God was getting Egypt out of the Israelites. So they've come out of this slavery and they're wandering through the, uh, the wilderness on their way to the promised land and they grumbled and complained. Uh, Numbers 11 says this, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite and we never see anything but this manna. The word manna means, what's that? Basically, it was like a a flaky stuff that landed on the ground overnight. And if you left it there, it just evaporated. But it was good for eating. But after a few years of eating just manna, they were a bit fed up. And then later on, they complained that they didn't have water. They thought that going back into slavery would be better. They preferred cucumbers to freedom. There's a subtext in the passage. It said that God was not very pleased with his people when they grumbled and complained. And fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. 
Nicky Gumbel wrote this as part of his commentary on this passage. He said, Complaining keeps you captive, while remembering God's faithfulness sets you free. Praise, thanksgiving, and worship are the antidote to complaining. There's always something to complain about. Yet if we have eyes to see it, we are constantly surrounded by God's goodness, mercy, forgiveness, love, and grace. He quotes Hebrews. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The antidote to discontent is thanksgiving. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. So the current series is about communion, coming to the table uh, to experience the presence of God through communion. If you have ever been to a communion service in the Church of England, you might be familiar with these words. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Communion is a celebration and remembrance of all that God has done for us. It's an opportunity to thank him for all his benefits, for all his kindness and faithfulness to us. Before I go on to the Christian-type benefits of being thankful, and there are many, um, I just want to divert a little. Many of you will know that I work as a doctor, um, but you might not know that one of my interests as a GP is mental health. And there's a lot being talked about mental health in the world, in the UK at the moment, um, Lots of stuff about how you can improve people's mental well-being and resilience, enable them to bounce back from the knocks and bruises of life. Um, You might be interested to know there are some real medical benefits, scientifically proven benefits uh, for thankfulness. Ingratitude tends to be linked with misery. Ungrateful people are unhappy people. The antidote to ingratitude is thankfulness, and thankfulness is good for you. So there's some physical benefits. People who are thankful tend to have stronger immune systems. They are less bothered by aches and pains. They have lower blood pressure. They exercise more and take better care of their health. They sleep longer and feel more refreshed on waking. Somebody said, If you want to sleep more soundly, count blessings, not sheep. There are some psychological benefits. People who are thankful have higher levels of positive emotions. They're more alert, alive and awake. They have more joy and pleasure. And they demonstrate more optimism and happiness. And then there are some social benefits. People who are thankful tend to be more helpful, generous and compassionate towards others more forgiving, more outgoing, less lonely and isolated. Uh, There's a professor of psychology in California. It has to be California, isn't it? Guru of happiness. Uh, He's he's written a book called Thanks. What good is gratitude? Gratitude allows us to celebrate the present. It magnifies positive emotions. Research on emotion shows that positive emotions wear off quickly. Our emotional systems like new things. But gratitude makes us appreciate the value of something. And when we appreciate the value of something, we extract more benefits from it. 
We're less likely to take it for granted, less likely to depreciate the value in it. Gratitude blocks toxic and negative thoughts, uh, negative emotions such as envy, resentment, and regret. You can't feel envious and grateful at the same time. They're incompatible. If you're grateful, you can't resent someone else for having something that you don't. Grateful people tend to be more stress-resistant. The number of studies show that in the face of serious trauma, adversity and suffering, if people have a grateful disposition, they recover more quickly. Robert Emmons says this, I believe gratitude gives people a perspective from which they can interpret negative life events and help them guard against post-traumatic stress and lasting anxiety. And finally, grateful people have a higher sense of self-worth. When you're grateful, you have a sense that someone else is looking out for you. Someone else has provided for your well-being. Or you notice a network of relationships, past and present, of people who are responsible for helping you get to where you are right now. There's a a well-known medical journal called The Evening Standard, um, which published an article about gratitude a few years ago. It said this, Gratitude is an emotion expressing appreciation for what you have as opposed to a consumer-driven emphasis on what you want. What you have versus what you want. Gratitude is the act of thoughtfully reflecting on the aspects of life that bring you great joy, causing feelings of gratefulness, rather than the insatiable longing for what's just out of reach. By practicing awareness of the positive things in life, we fight off the brain's natural tendency to scan for and spot the negatives. So generally, we think about thankfulness as something you do after the event. Mothers among you today may have had a card or chocolates or flowers to celebrate Mother's Day. So we say thank you for when we've had a gift. You might have, if you get Christmas presents or birthday presents or other presents at different times, we like to say thank you. Maybe write a card to the person who sent the, the gifts to us. Or in these days, um, maybe a text or a little message on, you know, you face twit uh, saying, thanks for the... Um, I'm not sure that really cuts the mustard in terms of thankfulness, but that's the world we live in. But when we come to God, we have a lot to be grateful for. Some verses. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and courageous, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That verse I said earlier, God is kind to the ungrateful. And he's kind to us when we break his rules. So much in the Bible about thankfulness. You could spend hours just going through the book of Psalms. And there are ways in which we can express our thankfulness to God. At the very least, we can look around 
and express gratitude for the things in our daily lives, the beauty of creation, the good people that God has put in our lives. So today's Mother's Day. It's an opportunity for you to give thanks for your mother or to your mother. Um, for me, my mother's passed away, so and you know, sometimes that's a, that's great sadness when people remember people who've passed away. But we can give thanks for them. Give thanks to God for them. And we can also remember his gift, God's gift of his son for us. He sent his son to die for us and set us free from our sins to give us new life and a future to look forward to. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. There are so many things to be thankful for. Paul said this, he said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I've got one or two more things to say, um, but I just want to do something practical. We're going to hand around some cards, and I want you to take a couple of minutes just to write down two things that you're grateful for. Write down two things that you're thankful for today. Maybe somebody you appreciate. Maybe your own mother. Maybe something that has happened that's really encouraged you or built you up. Something good that's happened. So take a couple of minutes just to jot these down. Those of you doing it on iPads, my next instruction won't work. Take a piece of card and write it on a... How are you going to stick your iPad on your bathroom mirror? <laughs> Don't behave, some of them. <laughs> write down two things that you're thankful for. Two things. It's not hard. At the very least, you can say your mum. So when we come to communion, um, I want you to take a couple of minutes as, as you come to the communion table to just quietly in your mind express your thanks to God for those things you've written down um, and maybe other things that come to mind. The Bible says to us, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, when you get home, I want you to pin them on the uh, fridge with a magnet or something like that, or pin them to a kitchen cabinet or the bathroom cabinet, when you're brushing your teeth, read it and think, yeah, I'm thankful to God today. Got one or two other hints about how you can cultivate an attitude of gratitude. First thing is keep a gratitude journal. Maybe write down over a week five things that you're thankful for and keep it in a book or an iPad just to reflect back on. This consciously, intentionally focuses our attention on developing more grateful thinking and on, on, on eliminating 
ungrateful thoughts. It helps take it helps guard against taking things for granted. Another gratitude exercise is to practice counting your blessings on a regular basis, maybe first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Just expressing thanks for the blessings that have come to you in life. You don't need necessarily to write them down, but you could in your gratitude journal. But ask yourself, what am I grateful for today? On Wednesday night, we had Discovering uh, Central Vineyard and Discovering Discipleship. And one of the tools we were offered was uh, to do something called the examine prayer, which is an ancient form of spirituality of taking time to reflect and pray and listen to what God is saying to you. And after stilling yourself in God's presence for a few moments, express thanks to him for a couple of things. It's a good thing to do. You could use concrete reminders to practice gratitude. So one family uh, developed a practice of putting money into gratitude jars. At the end of the day, they emptied their pockets and put all the loose change into the jars. They had a regular reminder, a routine, to get them, in fo- in, get them to focus on gratitude. And then when the jar became full, they would give it to some needy part of the community or needy person. And that's paying it forward because... Practices like that can not only teach children the importance of gratitude, but can show that gratitude impels people to pay it forward, to give others something in some measure, like, they, like you yourselves have received. Uh, we have got the Love NN model, the little discs that are on the table out the front there. Consider using one of those. Give something to somebody with one of those. And it says on the back of it, it says, pay it forward, encourage them to thank somebody else for something. Maybe consider writing a letter to someone and then taking it to them and actually reading it to them. Finally, it's it's actually quite helpful to think outside the box. Mother Teresa of Calcutta worked with very poor people, the dying, the sick in the slums of Calcutta. And she she said she was grateful to the people that she was helping, even though they had nothing to give her. But what they gave her was the ability to grow and deepen her own spiritual life. And that's a very different way of thinking about gratitude. Gratitude for what we can give as opposed to what we can receive. That can be a very powerful way of cultivating a sense of gratitude. Paul wrote this. Now thanks be to God for his gift, precious beyond telling, his inexpressible, indescribable, free gift. Thanks be to God for his gift, precious beyond telling, his indescribable, inexpressible, free gift. It's incredible what he's done for us. So like I said earlier, We tend to think of being thankful after the event, when somebody's given us something, a Christmas present or a birthday present or a benefit. But the kingdom of God has this habit of being a bit upside down. Doesn't quite work out like we think it should. Things often don't fit. Um, So there's a perspective I want to finish on before the end of the talk, and that's this, that thanksgiving expresses our faith and trust in God. 
There are many times when things don't seem to be working out for us. We live with problems and difficulties. We long for problems to be resolved. We long for sickness to leave us. We long for our jobs to be better, our bosses to be nicer. We long that depression and anxiety and sorrow would leave us. We long to be free from the damage and abuse that we've suffered. We long for release from difficulties and stress. We live in this kingdom that's in between times, a time when not everything is perfect, a time when we long for things to be better. There was a a Christian leader in the last century, I think it was, in Bristol, called George Muller, who had a heart for orphans. So he set up several orphanages. Over several years, he, he, he put 10,000 people through orphanages and education. And he never raised money. He always trusted that God would bring him everything that he needed, which is quite a challenge when you're trying to feed how many thousand kids at one time. There's a story about him. It said, one morning... All the plates and cups and bowls on the table in the orphanage were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy any food. The children were standing waiting for their morning breakfast when Muller said, children, you know, we must be in time for school. So lifting up his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank you for what you're going to give us to eat. At that moment, there was a knock on the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night. Sometimes, somehow I didn't feel, sorry, somehow I felt that you didn't have bread for breakfast. And the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and I have brought it. Mr. Muller thanked the baker. No sooner had he left, there was another knock on the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right opposite the orphanage and he didn't want to waste his milk. Could Mr. Muller use it? So he gave, his ca- his children, gave the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could repair his wagon rather than waste it. We long for things to be better, but we don't see God breaking in in answer very often. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, last time I preached, I preached about something called going through the wall. Those difficulties that just seem to stop us, that were a real challenge. Um, and when I preached in Wellingborough, I actually said a bit more about um, a personal thing than I did here. Um, and I just felt that I should. Um, it was the fact that I have a ruptured relationship with one of my daughters, haven't seen her for six years, almost six years this week it'd be. And, you know, I have very little contact with her. She told me that she didn't want me in her life. And I told this story when I preached. And two guys came up to me afterwards and said, thank you for sharing that. That's been our experience. And so I was able to just pray with them. And one of them, as I prayed, I just felt... I wanted to ask God to really break in. He hadn't seen his daughter for 30 years. 30 years. And I just said, Lord, would you break through and do something miraculous here? Would, would you put something in her heart to contact him? 
So that was five weeks, six weeks ago, I think. Three weeks later, he rang me and said, David, he said, my daughter's contacted me. <laughs> she wants to meet up. She wants to find out about the family history. She wants to explore the family tree. So I said, you know, I think God's in this. <laughs> Don't know why I thought that, but, you know, I thought God's in this. So I kind of talked over things, prayed with him. And so last Monday, and I have his permission to share this story. Last Monday, he met up with his daughter for the first time in 30 years. He thought he would probably spend about an hour and a half with her. They spent four hours together. There was a lot of crying over what had gone before, a lot of joy over the restoration of their relationship. Not easy, very difficult for both, and they're both, I think, quite terrified by it. But God has broken through, and they hugged and kissed, took photos together, and there's a beginning of a restoration of a relationship that that guy has been suffering over for years. We groan inwardly and sometimes outwardly. The mystery of this kingdom of God is that we see it now and we don't see it. It's now it's not, and it's not yet. The truth is that where, this is where we live, in the overlap between this current age that we know so well and the age to come that's beginning to break in. Sometimes we see a greater manifestation of God's power, and sometimes we wonder, what on earth is it all about? But we should hold on to our faith and expectation. God wants to break in, and thanksgiving is actually part of the key to that, because it expresses our faith and trust in God. We, we express thanks because we've got a future hope, a future hope of salvation where everything will be restored. When we'll be free from every difficulty that we've had in life. Future victory where death is defeated and sickness and pain and distress are eradicated. We have a future feast, this marriage feast that Paul will talk about in a couple of weeks' time. So communion, coming back to why we're here, <laughs> communion represents this looking backwards to what God has done for us, all the benefits he's given us, and the forwards into the future, the actual faith and trust that he has something more than we have yet. He wants to bring that about. And we have this sense as well of, in communion of doing it in community. The, the Jewish people would go up to the temple to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Um, if you were to open your Bible in the middle at random, you might just find that you arrive in the book of Psalms um, between Psalm 113 and 18. They're called the Hallel Psalms. And we all know hallelujah. So hallelujah means praise be to God. Hallel means praise. Um, but the story is that the psalmist is basically saying, giving thanks for what God has done in his life, personally and for the, for the nation. But he says, I'm going to go up to the temple to give thanks. Now, we don't go up to the temple, but the temple of God now is the body of Christ. It's us. So we go up to meet each other 
in a corporate sense. So we come together to share communion. And that's what it's about. It's a love feast together. And we express our thanksgiving to God. Right in the middle of Psalm uh, 118, it says, Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. And here, right at the very heart of the Bible, is a reference to God himself becoming our salvation, our setting free. And there's a reference to how he's done it because the next verse goes on to say, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Now they didn't see Jesus, but Jesus quoted that verse about himself, as did the early church and the apostle Paul, or Peter. So there's a sense of a sacrifice of thanksgiving before we receive from God. So there are things that we want, that we long for, that God wants to bring, but we haven't, yet, we haven't got them yet. And thanksgiving expresses that faith that he is an all-loving, all-seeing, all-knowing God who wants to give us the best. And God doesn't need us to give thanks to him. He has everything, but he actually wants us to give thanks. We're reminded as we come together of our obligation to commit ourselves to him, to invest in his kingdom and to express our act of worship. Paul said this, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Do we overflow with thankfulness? I don't enough, I know. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I'm going like, okay, Lord, I'm going to thank you tonight. I'm going to thank you. That's where Paul said this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Make thankfulness part of your praying. So as we come to the table, um, we're going to invite the kids to come in. Uh, they're going to bless the ladies among you with a little gift, a little flower gift. Oh, sorry, I spoke this. <laughs> the anticipation there. A little gift. Don't tell them I said flowers. <laughs> uh, and what we'd like them to do is come out and, and give those to you, and then we'll come forward for communion. If you remember those words um, that, that I read earlier, um, draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Jesus died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. As you come forward with communion, remember those things you've written down and other things, and just express your thanks to God.